This is Africa Digest. It is 1700 hours Central African time. Hello and welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We are in Johannesburg in South Africa. You can find us on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa and on 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. My name is Spumilele Zondiela with Amanda Machaka, Jolana Tulo and Neto Chemane. Your top stories, a severe epidemic of Rift Valley fever has been raging in Niger's Tawa region since late October, August, and it has killed at least 23 people and infected more than 60 others. South Africa's Bermelody Sundowns coach, Pito Musimane, has admitted that the heavy schedule faced by his team is taking a toll on the players in economics. Economists say a compromise solution has to be reached between students and South African government on the fees must fall. And in sports, the South African under-17 men's national team, Amachimbos, have been invited to take part in the inaugural BRICS under-17 football tournament in Goa in India. Amanda Machaga has the news first. Good evening. EU monitors say Gabon's top court had failed to rectify vote-counting anomalies in fiercely disputed elections in which President Ali Bongo extended his family's rule into a fifth decade. The European Union's Electoral Observer Mission said it regretted that Gabon's constitutional court, which on Saturday ruled against opposition demands for a recount, had been unable to rectify anomalies observed during the count. Former Zambian President Guy Scott has criticized President Edgar Lungo over the remarks he made during the recently ended United Nations Summit in New York. Lungo told the UN Summit last week that Africa did not need any strong leaders but strong institutions, adding that his country endeavored to build a peaceful, just and inclusive society through the consolidation of power. Lungu described Zambia as a democracy with an inclusive society where its people enjoyed many freedoms. But Scott rubbished Lungu's utterances, saying it was said that he could blatantly tell lies to the UN summit when he was well aware that the Zambian people were denied their rights leading up to the presidential elections. The former president highlighted the closure of the post-publication as an example of how the government cracked down on opposition institutions that were critical of the ruling party. 
The Nigerian army has reacted to a recent video released by Boko Haram's leader Abubakar Shekau, stating that the commander clearly has a mental issue. According to Naish, a statement issued by Army Director Colonel Sani Kukasheka Usman revealed that troops considered Shekau to be unstable. In addition, Usman called on citizens to ignore the contents of the video because the facts on the ground speak for themselves. Shekau resurfaced in a video released by the Islamist sect on Sunday, rejecting previous allegations made by the Nigerian army that he had been killed during an airstrike. The South African Department of Home Affairs has announced a new special provision allowing Basutu to apply for the Lesotho special permit without passports. The initiative is an effort to push up the number of applicants for the Lesotho special permit and create a one-stop shop to save applicants time. Lesotho's Director of National Identity and a Civil Registry, Dumelo Rabulitze, says it will be unfortunate for people who may miss a Friday's deadline. The basis for one to qualify for the Soto special permit is that Basoto should first appear in the National Population Register of Lesotho. And so we have cases of Basoto who do not have Lesotho passports, but who have gone through the process of late birth registration and have gone to enroll in Lesotho National Identity Card. In other words, the biometrics have already been captured through identity enrollment. And so if, even if they don't have Lesotho passport, given the tight timelines, they have been allowed to apply using the Soto National Identity Card. South Africa's outgoing public protector Tuli Madonzela says she will hand over at least 200 high-profile cases to her successor next month when her seven-year non-renewable term comes to an end. In an earlier interview during her visit in the Northwest province, Madonzela says all incomplete high-profile cases will now be handed over to her successor. There are still a lot of cases that have not been completed and some of them are important complex cases. I suspect that cases that are older than a year and that are extremely important would be over 200 that will hand over to the next budget. And finally, six people have been wounded after a gunman opened fire at the rush hour traffic in Houston, Texas, in the U.S. The incident happened in the early hours of this morning U.S. time. Police later shot and killed the assailant. Police are checking the shooter's vehicle for explosives. The motive for the attack is not clear at this stage. Channel Africa News. Thank you very much, Amanda. A severe epidemic of Rift Valley fever has been raging in Niger's Tawa region since late August. It has killed at least 20 people and infected more than 60 others. The Red Cross Society in the country says it has disseminated information and preventive messages in communities affected by the outbreak. Rift Valley fever is a contagious disease spread through contact with infected blood of organs of animals, primarily ones that have been domesticated or from bites of infected mosquitoes. More from Dr. Ben Adenoyi, who is the head of health and care at the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies in Africa. The Rift Valley fever started in early August. The situation started in early August. However, it was not confirmed that it was the Rift Valley fever until the 16th of September by the Institute Pasteur of Dakar. 
This was followed a few days later on the 20th of September by official declaration of the government of Niger of uh, an epidemic of Rift Valley fever in that country. And as at the last time we had information on the 21st of September, there have been 60 cases recorded with 23 deaths. Are there any livestock deaths reported at this stage? Yes, a lot of livestock, sheep, cows, camels have been reported dead as well. And um, this leads us to talking about how the Rift Valley fever gets into the human population because in any normal situation, whenever we have an outbreak of Rift Valley fever, it usually starts with the animals before the human population gets affected or infected. Now, you spoke about how the number of infected people is now sitting at about 60. Are there any possibilities, Doctor, that the official registered numbers represent the tip of the iceberg? I would not be able to say exactly if that is representative of the total number of people who are affected, but considering the fact that there has been um, a lot of surveillance activities happening around the areas that are affected, I would want to assume that uh, we are not quite so far away from the real numbers. People in this region, I understand, are already suffering from severe food shortages and malnutrition. What major societal impacts of the outbreak concern you most? Yes, that I think is what is very concerning because under natural circumstances, the Rift Valley fever itself has two forms, either the mild or the severe. And uh, mostly you find people having a mild form, which is not so lethal. Mortality from Rift Valley fever is usually less than 1%, most time or about 1%. However, the major concern is, as you mentioned, under the background of food insecurity, malnutrition, where this population that is affected depends mostly on this livestock for their livelihood. Losing this livestock further complicates their socioeconomic status. So that, I think, is what makes this very worrisome at this stage because uh, most of the people who are affected are pastoralists because for you want to get rid of valley fever, you need to have come in contact with the livestock, either manipulating them as a butcher or as a carer of a sick animal. So under this background that this is the main source of livelihood for this population in question, it's really creates a source of worry that it may aggravate and escalate the food security situation in that part of the country. Tell us, how else does Rift Valley fever spread and are outbreaks common in this region? The Rift Valley fever is basically disease that is caused by a virus, which mostly is found infecting animals. I would like to say it has been discovered as far back as 1931 around the Rift Valley area of Kenya, where it takes its name from. So outbreaks have been reported in many countries afterwards, Kenya, Somalia, Tanzania, in the past few years, in the past 20 years. So it's something that occurs commonly amongst animals and um, yeah the transmission is mainly through humans 
coming in contact with animal tissues, either during slaughtering the animals, butchering the animals, or assisting in the bat or animal bat or delivery process, or conducting any form of disposal of waste from animals. Any intimate contact with the animal fluids or tissues is what leads to humans getting infected from animals. Just finally, how are you as the IFRC dealing with the situation? Yes, the IFRC is supporting the Niger Red Cross, which of course is an auxiliary to the government of Niger in responding to this through social mobilization, creating community awareness and uh, health promotion in the affected areas through about 60 community volunteers that have been mobilized so far. And there are still plans to do further assessments to see what scale we have of this outbreak at the moment and possibly scale up a response to it. That is Ben Adinoi, who is the head of health and care as the International Federation of the Red Cross and Red Cross and Societies, that is IFRC in Africa. He is in Nairobi in Kenya, and he was having that conversation with Elizabeth Litecha. The ambassador of Zimbabwe in the Democratic Republic of Congo has described relations between both countries as excellent. Ambassador Faranisi told Channel Africa in Kinshasa that Zimbabwe wishes peace and stability for the DRC for both countries to move on to the next stage of their cooperation. Jean-Noël Bamwenze filed this report. The government of Zimbabwe is working to increase economic cooperation with the Democratic Republic of Congo, although both countries are running excellent relations. This country is one of the potentially richest states of the world, and it's very important for Zimbabwe to do more in order to boost economic relations for both countries' development and this of the whole Southern Africa's development community, SADC. But this can only work if there is peace and stability here in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And that's indeed what Zimbabwe wishes for the DRC, according to Ambassador Faranisi. The DRC is part of the Sadak family. I'm sure you recall when the DRC had uh, challenges earlier on in the late 90s. We, together with Angola and Namibia, were among the first countries to come and assist the DRC. And that has remained so. What we wish for the DRC is peace, stability and democracy. The DRC in the region is one of the potentially richest countries, not just in Africa but the world. So there is much potential and what we wish for as Zimbabwe is for peace and stability in the DRC so that we can move on to the next stage of our cooperation bilateral and multilateral also to increase economic cooperation. You are aware during our chairmanship of uh, SADAG, we brought this idea of value addition in our economies. And that can only take place if there is peace and stability. You cannot develop 
if there is political and instability or if there are security problems. So how I would characterize our relations with the DRC, they are excellent. The Zimbabwean government believes both countries are facing same problems as far as economy is concerned since they depend more on export of primary commodities. But what's important according to Ambassador Faranis is that there is a lot of sectors with significant potential both Zimbabwe and the Democratic Republic of Congo can cooperate in and that's why there is a lot to do for more relations in the economic area. We would wish to do much more on the economic uh, front but as you are aware uh, both DRC and Zimbabwe we depend you know more on primary export of primary commodities our industries are still in their infancy some need to be recapitalized uh, so the DRS is also facing you know the same problems but there are lots of areas we can cooperate in transport there's a lot of potential for us to cooperate in that sector tourism also trade in other commodities you know agricultural produce whether you know primary or processed there's a lot of potential both the governments of zimbabwe and the democratic republic of congo have been running healthy relations since years the embassy of zimbabwe here remains optimistic both countries will keep on their relations excellent jean noel bamwezi channel africa kinshasa We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Your time is 17.17 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Spomela Lezondi with you until 1800 hours Central African Time this evening. Now, the long-awaited parliamentary elections are taking place in Somalia as authorities in the capital Mogadishu tighten security. This to prevent the country's Al-Shabaab militants from attacking more than 14,000 delegates representing Somalia clans casting their votes. Channel Africa's James Shimanyula has more. The 14,000 delegates representing Somali clans are casting their votes to elect members of two political chambers, the lower house and the upper house. The elections for members of the two houses are to end on the 10th of next month. Presidential elections are scheduled for the 30th of October. According to Omar Mohamed Abdullah, chairman of Somalia's election commission, the 14,000 delegates representing Somali clans are casting votes for members of the lower house, while the regional states have been given the task of selecting members of the upper house. The current Somali president, Hassan Sheikh Mohamud, is among dozens of candidates contesting the presidential post. His term in office officially expired on the 10th of this month, but the country's parliamentary speaker has already approved a new resolution agreed by the National Leaders Forum to extend the term for the president until the 10th of next month when presidential election is to be held. 
This is how Somali President Hassan Sheikh Mohamud described the ongoing parliamentary election. An election that allows every eligible citizen the chance to directly elect their own representative. Michael Keating, the United Nations representative to Somalia, speaks about the difference between the 2012 Somali elections and the elections taking place this year. 2016 is already looking significantly different to 2012. First of all, it's much more inclusive. In 2012, 135 clan elders chose 275 MPs. This time, the number of electors is going to be multiplied by 100. 14,000 people, including many women, that's another big difference, many women in the electoral colleges will be involved in the uh, election of the 275 MPs. The UN is really delighted, as are many international partners, by the commitment that was made by Somali leaders, that's the National Leadership Forum, to reserving 30% of the seats for women. But our view, on the basis of our global experience, in all countries, of all cultures, is that women's participation in politics makes politics better. They tend to be much better at raising issues of national concern, where men tend to focus on the power of their particular communities. It just makes sense for Somalia to stick to its own promises and make sure that women have a full role in the political life of the country. Michael Keating, United Nations representative to Somalia, and Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta had an important message to the people of Somalia at this time of crucial parliamentary and presidential elections. These elections should be peaceful. These elections should bear the will of the people of Somalia. Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta, Kenya's Defense Minister Rachel Omamo, also stressed the importance of peace at this time when elections are taking place in the Horn of Africa nation of Somalia. We are extremely optimistic about elections for Somalia. They have chosen an electoral model that is a hybrid model, but one that speaks to the transitional stage where they are. Of course, any elections held anywhere in the world need an atmosphere of peace and stability. Kenya's Defense Minister Rachel Omamo speaking about the ongoing parliamentary elections in the Horn of Africa nation of Somalia. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. The South African Department of Home Affairs has announced a new special provision allowing Basutu to apply for the Lesotho Special Permit without passports. This applies to Basutus using the VFS Global Operated Application Centers. The initiative is an effort to push up the number of applicants for the Lesotho Special Permit and create a one-stop shop to save applicants time. Lesotho's Director of National Identity and Civil Registry, Dumelo Rabulete, says it will be unfortunate for people who may miss a Friday's deadline. 
remember the the basis for one to qualify for Lesotho special permit is that Basotho should first appear in the national population register of Lesotho. And so we have cases of Basotho who do not have Lesotho passports, but who have gone through the process of late birth registration and have gone to enroll in Lesotho national identity card. In other words, the biometrics have already been captured through identity enrollment. And so if, even if they don't have Lesotho passport, given the tight timelines, they have been allowed to apply using Lesotho national identity card. And once they have applied, then they have to go back home and apply for Lesotho passport so that when the permit comes out, then they, the past day they are already holding passport. Let's say a person doesn't have a passport and then they apply for the permit and then goes and apply for the passport and the passport doesn't come in time because they have to come back to South Africa. How will they yes. be able to travel between the two countries without a passport? You know, what we have agreed and what used to happen prior to the dispensation was that if a citizen of Lesotho has lost the passport or do not have a passport for one reason or another, then the Lesotho government representatives in South Africa will facilitate an issue, what we call a one-way travel document, which is an internationally accepted travel document to go to Lesotho. And so for those who do not have Lesotho passports, but who now have Lesotho identity cards, they will then use the temporary travel document to go to Lesotho and apply for Lesotho passport in time for them to come back and apply for the Lesotho special permit. Will this not become a challenge when it comes to administration? Because the process is going back and forth. Absolutely. I think that's what the government of Lesotho is also looking at. At the beginning when the challenge of Lesotho who are in South Africa emerge that they don't have Lesotho documents. The government of Lesotho then decided to deploy the resources across the provinces but the, at the time the primary objective was to ensure that they are in the national population register which means that implies that they have to go through the process of late birth registration, identity enrollment. We had hoped once Lesotho have those documents and we know they frequent every other month or twice a month or quarterly, they would travel back home and hope then they would be able to go home and apply for the Soto passport. I think I have to go back to this question again. For people who have fraudulent documents, are you winning with the submission? And after the submission, what happens? No, absolutely. And again, there are a number of Basutu who have come out and said, we fraudulently acquired these South African documents. And in view of the dispensation, we are willing and happy to surrender them. So the process is such that we, first of all, have to document them as citizen of Lesotho. Once they are documented, then there is a process of them surrendering the South African documents while they are assured of the Lesotho special permit and that they can continue with their businesses or their jobs if they were working. There is a clearly stipulated process of surrendering the documents. You have extended the deadline for a person who hasn't applied for either a passport or a special permit. How does the Lesotho government and the South African government plan to handle such instances? I think the key is that the two governments agreed that for any Musutu who is in South Africa, be it studying, running businesses or working, the call was made in the beginning of the year for them to come forth and apply for the Sutu special payment. Now, if by the end of September 30th, there will be other Basutu who would have not applied. Then I think it will be a very regrettable situation. So are we not looking at another extension here? Uh, look, that's the call for our principals. And as you know, they met earlier this month in Rustenburg and reviewed 
progress thus far and decided that the cut-off date remains as agreed, which is September 30th. But the ministers also said they will review progress towards the end. They will make a final determination. Is it possible for a person to apply for a permit with no fee and pay later? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, that is how the business process is. You first of all apply. And after applying, you then get what is called a deposit slip, which you will then take to the bank and pay. So it is absolutely possible for one to apply and then pay at the later stage. What is the initial cut-off date for the payments? I have to say the cut-off date, as the ministers have um, agreed, it's September 30th. And that is for online application. And so the appointments and the payments will continue. But as you know, the cut-off date for the project is December 31st. So by December 31st, it is now expected that those who have applied will have applied and that they will have indeed gotten their payment so that by the end of December, the project is closed. Your time is 1727 Central African time and that was Tumelo Rabulete, who is the Lesotho Director of National Identity and Civil Registry, talking to Sihle Zuma. Hi, I'm Zonke Dikana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And you can catch me on at Zonke Music on Twitter and Zonke Dikana on Facebook. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. South African Afro Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Seventeen thirty Central African time is time for your news headlines. Here's Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Spamalele. Good evening. EU monitors say Gabon's top court failed to rectify vote-counting anomalies in fiercely disputed elections in which President Ali Bongo extended his family's rule into a fifth decade. Former Zambian President Goy- 
Guy Scott has criticized President Edgar Lungo over the remarks he made during the recently ended United Nations summit in New York. Lungo told the UN summit last week that Africa did not need any strong leaders but strong institutions, adding that his country endeavored to build a peaceful, just and inclusive society through the consolidation of power. And the Nigerian army has reacted to a recent video released by Boko Haram's leader Abubakar Shekau, stating that the commander clearly has a mental issue. Those are news headlines. Seventeen thirty one Central African time. Now South Africa's Mamelodi Sundowns coach Biso Musimane has admitted that the heavy schedule faced by his team is taking a toll on his players. The Brazilians have hardly rested and have been playing competitive football for about fifteen months. The team made history by qualifying for two finals within the space of four days. Sundowns advanced to the final of the MTN eight last Wednesday and completed their fairy tale run by advancing to their first CAF champion. League final in 15 years on Saturday, Fisoramara reports. The Premier Soccer League has postponed midweek APSA Premiership fixtures involving MTN 8 finalists Mamelodi Sundowns and Bidvers Vales. The Clever Boys were supposed to visit Ajax Cape Town on Wednesday and Sundowns were to host Bloemfontein Celtic at the Lucas Moripe Stadium on the same day. The final of the MTN 8 will be played at the Mbombela Stadium on Saturday. Sundowns coach Pizzo Musimani has shown his displeasure when the PSL refused to postpone their match against Marisberg United last week, a few days before travelling to Zambia to play Zesco United in the first leg of the CAF Champions League. Musimani says their participation in the Champions League this year was all about gaining experience and winning it will be a cherry on top. We need to improve next year on what we're doing. We are having fun, you know. And uh, I remember a chef, the Congolese guy, he says um, we went in with a back door. Well, a back door, but to the final. Eh? How nice. Sweet. I mean, we've been playing football for 15 months. We never stopped. The boys, you can see, this is not the real sometimes that you always see. You know, quick uh, and, and fast men on the ball. We are struggling a little bit. I wish I could push days and push the calendar. And it must be uh, December because the boys have to go three weeks on uh, on off-season. That's our off-season. Musimani says his mandate at Sundowns is to win trophies. The coach has already won four trophies since joining the Pretoria Club in December 2012. Musimani says he's enjoying all the pressure at the club. If you are a coach at Sundowns, you're expected to win the league, you're expected to win the cup, whichever one you, you, you compete in. And, uh, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's immense, immense pressure, you know. And um, unfortunately, we, we don't have a life. Eh? No, it's too heavy and uh, and and uh, obligations and uh, mandates that I have to meet as a coach. It's unbelievable. But I wanted to be here, and uh, I'm, I'm, it's the pressure, and I'm enjoying the stress. Sundowns will now face Egyptian giant Zamalek in the final of the CAF Champions League, the first leg will be played in Pretoria on the 14th of October with the second leg to be played in Alexandria a week later. Mosimani says it doesn't matter who's going to play home or away first and is confident of matching Zamalek pound for pound in the two-legged affair. But the last time we played first game at home, eh, we scored two goals against Leopards 
and then we went there, we got 1-1. It doesn't have a therefore that you play there away and you play home. So you must also understand, when you play away, the people have pressure because if you score a goal, they have to score two to beat you, you know. But we've got a little bit different specimen of a team that the Arabs can... They're not very comfortable in dealing with the way the way we play, but we struggle with our with Zimbabwe. Remember uh, Chicken Inn and, and Zesco. We struggle a little bit with it because we play a little bit the same, but they they, they struggle a little bit with the way we play. Uh, 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 the Arabs, you know, the North Africans. The biggest prize is to represent Africa in the FIFA Club World Cup to be played in Japan in December. I'm Sviso Ramara in Johannesburg. Economists say a compromise solution has to be reached between students and government on the fees must fall protests. They say if corruption is eliminated, a free tertiary education could be possible for a year. However, they have warned that this will not be sustainable in the long term. Murafitabane has more. There are many factors which have to be considered to enable government to fund free tertiary education. This means money may have to be moved from other priorities. Currently, the lion's share of the country's budget goes to education, with government spending over 300 billion rand. At the moment, 68 billion rand of this goes to higher education. If fees are to increase by not more than 8% next year, this figure will be more than 70 billion rand. Patrick Matidi is a portfolio manager at Aluwani Capital. He says the increase proposed by the Minister of Higher Education should be seen as a start to a long-term program. He also maintains that it must be acknowledged that both universities and students are hard-pressed. We do have a lot of sympathy for the proposal on the table, but if you look at the full value chain, it is clearly inadequate. So if you look at it from the university side, an 8% increase does not come close to the actual inflationary prices that the universities are facing. So if you think of things like salaries and wages, those are a big part of, of their cost structures. Even things like um, you know, administrative prices in the form of taxes uh, that they pay to municipalities for the rates and taxes and what and everything else. Matidi says equally, students also have to contend with a number of costs. For the students, the biggest cost is not only the tertiary fees that they pay, you need to look at, for example, the cost of accommodation. You need to look at the cost of books, especially textbooks, which can often run into thousands of rands. And on a year-on-year basis, you know, those are linked to the currency because they tend to be imported. And there, the inflation impact could be as high as 25%. So, you know, it's a very difficult situation for both the students in the sense that you know, the 8% that they're being asked to pay, it does not even come close to the, all the other costs that they need to pay up. You know, even if you look at things like food, for example, that they need, that they need to sustain themselves, you know, that inflation basket is running a lot higher than uh, the 6 to 8% that is being needed. Meanwhile, economist Dr. Azaja Min says although it would not be affordable in the long term, South Africa could afford a year of free education if corruption is eliminated. Depending on where you draw the line, whether you include boarding fees or not, on the case of in the case of tuition fees, we're talking about an extra 25 to 30 billion rand that is needed. And once you include boarding fees and uh, nutrition and other such costs, then you're probably talking about uh, needing to find 50 billion rand 
or so per annum to finance that. Now, it's quite possible to find uh, large sums of money if you ex- if you eliminate uh, current co- corruption and state capture. However, he maintains that allowing everyone to have access to free tertiary education, including those who can afford it, will not do any good for the country's economy. If you have free education, you've got to do this every year. If you succeed in eliminating corruption for one year and keep it at that way, it still doesn't help you to finance free education in perpetuity. So other ways would need to be found to finance free education. And that raises the uh, alternate question as to whether it is in fact wise to have entirely free higher education There was economist Dr. Azar Jamin ending the report by Morafe Dabane in Johannesburg. A regional workshop on sharing knowledge and experiences to strengthen collaboration among stakeholders in African forestry has opened in Lome in Togo. The workshop, which comes almost a year after the successful First World Forestry Conference in Durban, South Africa, will seek to look back at the challenges and successes of the African forestry sector since the meeting. Sine Katunga Piri is there and filed this report for us. With an urban population of almost 1.6 million, Lome is the capital and largest city of Togo. Located on the Gulf of Guinea, Lome is almost surrounded by the Atlantic Ocean. It is here at a hotel perched on a modest beach, which is surrounded by local huts and symbolizing freedom of the people to build structures around the hotel. Novella Star Hotel becomes a chosen venue for this African Forestry Forum. To set the scene for the conference, I speak to Professor Godwin Kowero, Executive Secretary of the African Forest Forum, and Harrison Kojuang, a consultant from Namibia. I begin by asking Kowero what the conference is all about. The conference is actually on sharing information from the work we've been doing in the last two years, uh, mainly focusing on uh, activities in the broad area of climate change and forestry, and also in some other activities that are related to livelihoods and the way we support livelihoods that depend on forest and tree resources. Now specifically, we will be looking at information which is related to the forest resources themselves and also information that is related to livelihoods and how they depend on uh, the forest resources. Because we believe there is no way you can support livelihoods if the forests and trees are not managed properly and sustainably. We have looked at the role of forest certification on the continent. We have evaluated the status of forest certification all over the African continent. We have come up with uh, some recommendations on how to go forward with forest certification on the continents so that we can manage the the forest sources sustainably and we can get better assurance of the products that we trade in forest resources that they are coming from sustainably managed forest resources. Joining us is a man that is going to tell us why he is involved in this particular forum? Well, first of all, um, I'm involved 
in this process as an expert in forestry and have an interest, a very intense interest, to see the forests of Africa sustainably managed for the economic benefits and ecological benefits of the African continent, and through that also to generate some global benefits like mitigation of climate change. I'm also a resource person who is from time to time engaged by the African Forest Forum uh, to prepare uh, papers which highlight the status of the forest sector, the most recent of which was a review of forest diseases and pests in southern Africa, where I live. And um, it highlighted some of the economic losses that can be incurred if pests and diseases are not properly controlled. And I've also been involved in discussions which look at the economics of, of growing trees and, 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 and the effects of climate change and why forests should be managed to that effect. Um, and to that extent, uh, my expectations this week uh, are to make sure that the participants are inspired into action because the African Forest Forum has been very good at uh, commissioning a lot of incisive study papers, which in themselves uh, can be turned into policy briefs which can influence policy making in a way that would encourage forest management in a sustainable way. So I really would like to see people inspired and we should call upon them and challenge them to make sure that the messages go to the policy maker so that we can make a difference. Now, coming back to you, uh, Prof, who are the participants when you talk about participants and what was the criteria that has brought all these people across the continent? Um, before I answered that, I did say that we're dealing with uh, forest certification, but there are other areas which we will also discuss in this uh, conference. The whole broad area of tree germplasm that is mainly seed sources and also seedlings sources because these materials are important in producing quality forest products. So we have also examined the status of germplasm for smallholder farmers who are planting trees and the private sector that is increasingly getting into forest business. The other area we are looking at is when we plant the trees, threats come in form of pests and diseases. We have also mapped out the status and the trends in pests and diseases on forest products. And uh, given that the African economies are guided by market policies and uh, they are private sector-led, we have also examined the growth and the role and the future of the private sector in forestry. So those are the main areas that we are looking at in addition to the overall macroeconomic environment that is guided by green economic growth. Now, given all these areas, then we have a lot of participants coming from different areas that speak to these issues. They come from government as policymakers in forestry and otherwise. They come from academia, research, the non-governmental organizations that deal with local communities, extension agents, the media, you name them. We have quite a number of people who are coming from various sectors. And the total is almost 100 participants who are coming to this conference. That was Godwin Kowero, the Executive Secretary of the African Forest Forum. Earlier, you heard the voices of Harrison Kojuang, a consultant from Namibia. Reporting from Lomé, Togo, 
am Sydney Katunga Piri. Tavyo economic news here Cholana Tulo. Thank you, Spumelele. Good afternoon. South Africa's state-owned strategic fuel fund, or SFF, did not inform the Treasury it would sell 10 million barrels of crude oil reserves as required by law. This according to the Auditor General in a report to Parliament. The SFF sold the crude reserves for $286 million. The fund had previously said it sold the oil at around $500 million. The Auditor General said the accounting authority did not exercise reasonable care to ensure the safeguarding of the assets of the public entity as required in terms. The SFF is facing a separate investigation of making a bid to buy Chevron's local assets without seeking clearance. Economists say a compromise solution has to be reached between students and the South African government on the feasmas for protests. They say if corruption is eliminated, free education could be possible for a year. However, they have warned that this will not be sustainable in the long term. Economist Dr. Azar Jamin says long-term free education for everyone, including those who can afford it, will not be beneficial for the country's economy. If you have free education, you've got to do this every year. If you succeed in eliminating corruption for one year and keep it at that way, it still doesn't help you to finance free education in perpetuity. So other ways would need to be found to finance free education. And that raises the uh, alternate question as to whether it is in fact wise to have entirely free higher education. The African Development Bank is looking to provide a total of $4.1 billion to Nigeria. Over the course of 2016 and 2017, President of the Bank Akinumi Adesina told reporters the fund would be used to develop the power and agriculture sectors in the West African country as well as infrastructure development. Kenya Airways is in talks with foreign institutional investors and airlines about buying a stake to raise cash for the loss-making carrier. This is according to its CEO, Mbuvin Gunze. The airline has been reducing the size of and modernizing its fleet, selling land and cutting jobs to recover from losses. Ngunze says the search for a strategic investor is part of a plan drawn up with the help of U.S. investment bank PJT Partners to raise new debt and equity funds. Ngunze did not say how much they plan to raise, but the company previously stated it would need $692 million. And finally, cocoa arrivals at ports in top grower Ivory Coast have reached over 1.5 million tons to date since the start of the season on October 1st, according to exporter estimates. This is down 15% from around 1.7 tons in the same period the previous season. Exporters estimated around 24,000 tons of beans were delivered to the West African states to ports of Abidjan and San Pedro between this week up from 3,000 tons during the same period last year. Taking a look at the financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 13.65 to the South African Rand, at 10.29 to the Botswana Pula, and at 10 to the Zambian Kwacha. It is also trading at 0.77 to the British Pound and at 0.89 to the Euro. On the commodities market, gold is trading at $1,340 and platinum at $1,042 an ounce. Finally, the price of Brent crude oil is at $47.39 a barrel. For Channel Africa... I'm Jolani Tulo.
Good evening, sport fans. With your latest sport news at this hour, I'm Neto, NETO Chemane. Starting off with soccer news. The South African under-17 men's national team, Amajimbos, has been invited to take part in the inaugural Breaks Under-17 Football Cup, which will be played from the 5th to the 15th of October 2016 in Goa, India. The venues to be used are Fatorda Stadium, officially known as Jawaharlal Nehru Stadium, situated in Margoa, Goa, and the National Sports Stadium, Bambolin, otherwise known as Bambolin Ground. The tournament will feature the five Breaks countries, economic block formed by Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa and will be played annually. It will be played on the occasion of the 8th BRICS Summit. Each edition will be hosted by one of the BRICS nations. The South African Premier Soccer League PSL will set a new date for the match between Orlando Pirates and Bidvest Vets after the initial scheduled Saturday night tie was postponed due to ongoing protests by Vets students over tuition fees. The league spokesman Luke Molo September cited the intensifying protests and the safety and security concerns of the fans going to the Bidvest Stadium being a serious concern. He says the PSL will continue holding discussions with Vets management on a regular basis regarding the matter. Well, I mean, as you know that we postponed that match due to some security uh, concerns at uh, the Vets campus. Uh, we're still working on the new date for that encounter. We will inform members of the public uh, as and when we deliberate and decide on a new date for that after premiership fixture between Billiard uh, Vets and the London Parish. We to play in wait and see game, you know, and uh, obviously deal with this situation by situation. Kenya Football Premier League champions Gor Mahia's hopes of defending the title this year were deemed after failing to cut down the gap between them and leaders Tusker FC at the top of the Kenyan Premier League standings this past weekend. Now four points off leaders Tusker with five matches to go. The defending champions coach Marcelo Ferreira takes the blame. Being held to a goalless draw by Sofapaka at the National Stadium in a round of matches where Tusker beat Muhoroni Youth. Two, one to go, four points clear with five matches to go. Matthew Kigonya, Sofapaka's Ugandan custodian, was the star of the show, pulling up superb saves in the final quarter of the match as Batoto Bamungu, that is Sofapaka, snatched a vital point against the mighty Gorma here. Gor now retains second sport, four points off leaders Tasker with five matches left before the end of the season. The Kenya National Rugby 7 side Shuja are the 2016 Safari 7's champions following their 38-21 victory over last year's champions Samurai at the finals of the 2016 edition of the tournament held at Safaricom Stadium, Kasarani in Nairobi. Speaking after the match, team captain Andrew Amonde praised the good performance by young players, especially the sensational Brian Tanga. We did very well and we had our intention for the first game we played. We wanted to get into this final just to try everyone and give everyone a chance to prove himself. On to golf news, Rory McIlroy won a playoff to seal victory in the Tour Championship. The Northern Irish man rolled out in a birdie from 15 feet to edge out Ryan Moore on the fourth playoff hole to win the tournament. The world number three's victory was enough to see him beat the U.S. Open champion Dustin Johnson to the FedEx Cup, the PGA Tour season long points race. Johnson finished seven shots of the lead at East Lake Golf Club in Atlanta. McElroy and Moore hit final round 64 to set up a three-way playoff with Moore's fellow American Kevin Chappell who posted a 66. 
And finally in boxing news, world heavyweight champion Tyson Fury will never fight again according to leading British promoter Eddie Hearn. The 28-year-old Fury was withdrawn from his rematch with Vladimir Klitschko scheduled for 29th October because of reported mental health issues. The Englishman who has not fought since beating Tlisko last November postponed the original rematch in June. Ferry beat Tlisko on points in Germany. The Ukrainians' first loss since 2004 to pick up the WBA, IBF, WBO and IBO titles, with American John Tay Wilder holding the WBC belt. Within two weeks, Ferry was stripped of the IBF title because he was unable to fight mandatory challenger via Cheslav Tlaskov. And that belt is now held by Ferris fellow Brighton Anthony Joshua. Thank you for tuning in to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Africa Digest. Let's talk about some stories. A severe epidemic of Rift Valley fever has been raging in Niger's Sawa region. South Africa's Mamelodi Sundowns coach Peter Masimane admits that the heavy schedule faced by his team is taking a toll on his players. Economists say a compromise solution has to be reached between students and South African government. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Pomele Lezondi, and the rest of the team, thank you very much for listening. Send us emails, info at channelafrica.co.za, info at channelafrica.co.za, tweet us, channel Africa 1, or SMS us, plus 27823325905, plus 27823325905. Here's Judith Sipuma, a place for you. Bought a beaten sea Spend the day upon a liquid part of me The earth can call its lonesome wind My eyes are lost, forgotten in A captured smile is floundering In everlasting tears Silent child you cast a shattered pearl You contemplate the hidden meaning in it all Your home is still your moment's mind Your clamber grows but never find A happy muse, a smile is mine In this dark midnight hour And will you ever see me standing here, will you open up your broken sun and recognize your fears? And will you ever know your beauty bold and feel a warm embrace? For the few 
You're living free, that's all uncertain what to do. Your mind is still the mission's made.